This is the case of Marion Barter, a mother, teacher, friend. Missing for 24 years. You know, no sign that she was going to vanish, that's for sure. The bizarre circumstances surrounding her disappearance. I'm not sure if it was intentional or if there was something more foul afoot. If you could imagine a teacher coming straight from, say, Little House on the Prairie to the 80s, that was Marion Barter. Whether you find Marion Barter dead or alive, I honestly believe somebody has that key piece of information. And the relentless quest of a daughter to find her mum. Something had happened. Something has happened to make her leave. I am 100% sure, 100% sure that somebody knows something. The Lady Vanishes, Episode 21, The Inquest, Part 2. I'm Alison Sandy. Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. There were two witnesses on this day, both of them retired or serving New South Wales police officers. They've been mentioned in prior episodes of this podcast, but we've only heard from one of them before, and this time is very different. The first was the now-retired senior constable, Graham Childs. He's the Byron Bay officer whom Sally first spoke to after her mother's disappearance in October 1997. The second, Senior Constable Stephen McAllister. He first came across Marion's case in 2007 when he worked in the New South Wales Police Missing Persons Unit. Now, this was also the day that Sydney's COVID situation escalated and I had to make a hurried trip home to Brisbane. There was a sharp rise in community-acquired cases in Sydney and I needed to get out before the city was declared a hotspot or went into lockdown. So while I sat through the first session of the inquest in the morning, that afternoon I was at the airport securing a flight. However, our writer Sally Eels was still covering the case via video link from Brisbane, so we didn't miss a thing. Sally Layden was also attending with Joni via video link. Graham Childs appeared in person. He told the court he had no recollection at all of Sally Barter, as she used to be known, and her then-boyfriend, Chris Layden, coming to him in October 1997. Nor does he have any independent memory of making inquiries regarding Marion Barter or ever being involved in a missing persons investigation at all, saying that any training he would have received on such cases would have been back in 1977 when he first joined the New South Wales Police Force. He came to Byron Bay Station in 1990 and was still there in 1997. He said at the time there were about 16 staff and he was one of the more senior senior constables who would sometimes be a supervisor when the sergeant wasn't there. He also mentioned another officer who sometimes took a supervising role. His name was Senior Constable Michael Pearce. Mr Childs retired in November 2002. A duty notebook containing his writing was referred to, 
with Senior Counsel Adam Castledon saying... A fair reading would suggest that you spoke to Sally Barter at 1.15pm, 22nd of October 1997. Mr Childs responded... Yes. He described how details taken in an official police notebook would be transcribed onto the COPS system, the police computer system, which was relatively new at the time. Some of the notes written in the duty book were revealed to the court. They included a description of Marion and information about active accounts with the Colonial State Bank, the name of the Ashmore Bank manager, David Martin, and a phone number for him. But Mr Childs could not remember calling that number. There were notes about a telegraphic transfer of money to an overseas bank on August 28, mention of a John Lewis from the Australian Federal Police, and other information including that the next of kin, namely Sally, stated that the person of interest, namely Marion, had travelled to England and returned to Australia on the 2nd of August 1997 and did not contact her upon return. Also, that inquiries with the person of interest bank indicate that she had acted on her account a number of times, including several times at Byron Bay. There were also a list of transactions and a record that a stop had been placed on the account with a notice put on it to contact her daughter immediately. But Mr Childs had no recollection of these details, saying... I assume by the wording of that that I would have made those inquiries, but I can't be entirely confident of that. I can only assume, and I can't be sure, that I made those inquiries. When asked if information about the transactions came from Sally or the bank manager, David Martin, he replied... Not able to say. The court was told that Mr Childs had made an entry on the COPS system in regards to Sally's information. However, details were scant. Despite having notes on Marion's description and bank account transactions, these were not put into the COPS system. Mr Childs was grilled on this by Sally's barrister, Bradley Smith. Are you aware whether it was a regular practice to recall description in COPS? Can't recall. Do you agree it would have been beneficial? I'd say so. The account transactions also don't make it onto COPS. Can you explain why? No. Also, the entry had been listed as an occurrence, not as a missing person. The court heard that the new head of the New South Wales Police Missing Persons Registry, Detective Inspector Glenn Brown, who overhauled the unit, has said the matter should have been written up as a missing persons case from the start. When asked if he agreed with Inspector Brown, Mr Childs replied, I may be a little astounded as to how anybody can form a view in hindsight that wasn't there at the time and have the information I was provided at the time. And whether he agreed that the entry of the matter as an occurrence was in error and should have been a missing person? No, I don't agree with that. The handwritten notes in Officer Childs' notebook were marked with the time 1.15pm, October 22nd, 1997. His entry in the COP system at around 2.37pm the same day. Then, at 2.52pm, a warning is placed on the system by an unknown police officer, possibly Senior Constable Childs. With the following words in regards to Marion Barter, there are fears for her welfare, there are fears for the person's safety. Senior Counsel Adam Castledon questioned, How could a warning be entered into the system and yet the matter recorded as an occurrence only? Mr Childs replied, I don't know. Well, what about when you acknowledge in your report there were fears for her safety? I believe if that was my comment it may have been poorly worded because it appeared at the outset there was no sense of urgency. He later stated, 
It would appear from the information from all parties that I may or may not have contacted that there was insufficient evidence to make it a missing person at the time. And? From the information I can glean, it seems to me that she may not have wanted her reported as a missing person. One police officer's opinion may differ from another's. It was noted that at 4.13am and near midnight the following date, October 23, 1997, that a senior constable, Michael Pearce, had accessed the cop's entry and added the narrative... No further action until person is reported missing. When pressed as to whether he may have called Sally to tell her that police had located Marion and that she didn't want anything to do with anyone, Mr Child said, No, not at all. If I made that phone call, that would be an incident that would be in my memory. I tried to talk to Mr Childs before he left, but not surprisingly, he wasn't interested. Hey, Graham. It's been a while again. It's Alison here. Good to see you. After a court break, Senior Constable Stephen McAllister took the stand. There was admission of new documents and the revelation that only Senior Constable McAllister's main evidence would be heard straight away, with cross-examination to take place at a later time so legal teams could get across the new evidence. McAllister was attached to the New South Wales Police Missing Persons Unit from late 2006 until 2010. He told the court, I was in what you would call a support role, and we did checks. Any lead that the investigator might get, land, property, banks were a common one, electricity, telephone companies. He remembers becoming involved with the Marion Barter case in July 2007. Yes, I do. I was contacted by Rebecca Cotts of the Australian Federal Police because Sally Layden had been in touch and they wanted to make her the face of Missing Persons Week in 2007 and Rebecca could not find a relevant missing person file. On this one, due to the circumstances and a phone call from Rebecca and a conversation with Sally, I changed it from an occurrence to a missing persons case. I could not find anywhere where her mother had been cited, not through my inquiries. Handed a file containing details on his inquiries on the missing persons register, Senior Constable McAllister confirmed he'd added narratives to the case between 2007 and 2011 and said it was like... Restarting the investigation. It was noted that Marion had surrendered her New South Wales driver's licence in 1994 when she moved to Queensland. In July 2007, McAllister requested a name and licence check from Queensland Police. There was nothing. He made inquiries with the Commonwealth Bank about Marion's Colonial State Bank accounts, but found no records. He also made a number of checks with the Immigration Department over several months. However, at that stage, he only had the name Marion Barter to work with. Each time, the response was that she was onshore, but there was nothing to suggest she changed her name to Florabella Ramical. He said he only found that out when speaking to a Byron Bay detective at a much later date. Because Sally had told him Marion may go to Tasmania to pick lavender, he contacted police there in 2007. Going on this, Tasmanian police were contacted on October 9th. Again, nothing found. In July 2008, his request for information from the Queensland Teachers Union and Queensland Teachers Credit Union came back negative. In May 2011, he reached out to Centrelink and was using Marion's new name, Flora Bella, but again, nothing. 
While he never contacted the Salvation Army Tracing Unit, Senior Constable McAllister did do checks with Medicare. The first returned with nil records, but he said that was likely because it was done under the name Marion Barter. Another later attempt produced the Medicare docket from Grafton, which Officer McAllister clearly remembers. He said he made the calls to centre management and other businesses in the area. I had a dead end every time. Got nowhere with it. But he did not record that information or the Medicare docket in the COPS system. It was sent to Byron Bay to investigate. I have a clear recollection of that. The doctor's surgery was no longer there. Parts of this investigation I remember well. Her first husband was Johnny Warren. Myself being a soccer player, I had an interest in that. But by late 2007, he was unsure whether an officer in charge had been allocated the case in Byron Bay, despite him reclassifying it as a missing person file five months prior. I can't tell you. When it's updated, whoever is on the case, there is a prompt that someone has been there. They'd get a notification. Senior counsel Adam Castleton asked, If there's no officer in charge, then no one gets a notification? I'm not sure. There would still be a prompt. The court heard there is an entry in the record at 12.41am on October 9, 2007, by a senior constable, Barry Carr. There's also an email from McAllister to Carr in July 2007 regarding Marion's surrendered driver's licence. But McAllister wasn't really able to remember the exchange, nor could he say whether this Barry Carr was ever in charge of the case. Between 2008 and 2011, there's a hiatus between checks of about three years between, which McAllister explained was partly because he'd been reassigned for up to eight months. The senior constable was then quizzed about an exchange on July 20, 2007, with Sarah Wayland, who was a project officer with the National Missing Persons Unit connected to the Australian Federal Police. There'd been suggestions there had been certain challenges with the case after Sally had raised concerns about the adequacy of the investigation. Senior Counsel Castleton asked, Could one of the challenges be that there had been no action on the case in 10 years? Yes. Could challenges have been that it was negative for New South Wales Police that nothing had been done in 10 years? No, I don't think she was relating to that in this line. It was suggested that when Sally Layden was going to be the face of the missing persons campaign in 2007 and the federal police couldn't find a file, there was sensitivity over the case because of the 10-year gap in the investigation and the potential embarrassment to the New South Wales police. Officer McAllister responded, I can't remember but he said he did have a role in explaining to Sally why she couldn't be a part of the campaign. I'm sure I did talk to Sally about how, unfortunately, her mother couldn't be used because her mother wasn't listed as a missing person. He explained that had Sally raised concerns about the status of the case and adequacy of the investigation, his superior would have been told immediately. I would have informed him. He would have been aware as soon as I was. At this point, Sally looked a bit displeased and shook her head. Part of an email written to the AFP's Rebecca Cotts was read to the court. I was very surprised by a call from one Stephen McAllister that the opinion of New South Wales Police was that my mother was not a missing person just because she apparently said she didn't want to be found 10 years ago. Senior Constable McAllister responded, I wouldn't have said that because I actually changed the status to a missing person. 
The original was an occurrence. Later adding, I'd made it into a missing persons case before this correspondence. In her email, Sally had also requested a copy of the original report made on October 22, 1997. But did she ever get it? Not sure. She would have to apply for it. She'd also expressed her concern that the phone call she received telling her that Marion didn't want any contact may not have been from police at all, and she requested proof about who'd called. But there is no record in the police system of that call. The senior constable was due to return via video link and be cross-examined during the second week of the inquest. We'll wind up this episode here because the next day of evidence is pretty big. We hear from Chris Layden, Sally's husband, the former girlfriend of Sally's late brother Owen and some of Marion's oldest friends. Stay tuned. If you knew Marion or have any information about her or her whereabouts, we'd love to hear from you. Our website is 7news.com.au forward slash news forward slash the lady vanishes and you can also message us here. You can also send us anonymous tips at www.theladyvanishes.org. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. Presenter and executive producer, Alison Sandy. Investigative journalist, Brian Seymour. Producer and writer, Sally Eels. Sound design, Mark Wright. Transcripts, Winona Torpaki. Graphics, Jason Blanford. The theme and much of the music by Nicholas Gasparini at thedarkpiano.com. This is a 7 News production.